0: Well, speaking of New Year's resolutions, you don't have to say what it is. I promise I won't pick you out and call on you. But uh, is there anyone here this year that has made a New Year's resolution? Just show me your hands. All right. About three. Okay. All right. So that's not a huge hit. Okay. Well, at the New Year, I was thinking about it. It's, It's really... Uh, A time when you can start something new, you're kind of thinking about fresh things or doing something maybe out of the ordinary, something that's not normal for you. And I want to just acknowledge that today we are starting an adventure, something out of the ordinary, and let me explain what it is. Part of my responsibility is to be a good steward of God's Word. Aren't you thankful? I mean, that's part of my job, and, you know, to manage God's Word, to protect it, to dispense it, to be biblically accurate. And uh, more than my responsibility, my desire is to get God's Word into your hearts. If I could just you know, bring it in with a big old shovel and just dump it in, I would. And I would want not only for you to receive it, but for you to cherish God's word and for it to mean something to you. Because I know what Hebrews... 412 says that God's word is living and active, it's sharper than any double edged sword, and it's important and it has value for all of our lives. So you say, Well, what, what are we doing that's new or what's out of the ordinary? Well, I'm going to start today with a different type of preaching style, something that I don't typically do. Um, I love to preach, and I love to do series, I love to uh, preach topically, but I really have felt over uh, the last year, over 2013, really started in 2012, at that very end, November, December, I started stirring in my heart that we were to do some, what I call, expository preaching. How many have ever heard of expository preaching? All right, I, for those of you who haven't heard of expository preaching, I'm going explain what that is. But I really felt um, from that time in 2012 and then all the way through t- 2013, looking for an opportunity to kind of dive in and uh, to look at the book of 1 Corinthians. And what the expository, not suppository preaching, by the way, expository preaching is taking a book of the Bible and going line by line, through the book, and there. let me explain what expository preaching does. Number one, it does this. It takes the subject matter, and it, it's all entirely from God's Word. That's number one. So we're not going to be, you know, looking at uh, current events necessarily, although they definitely can fit in, but the subject matter is going to be God's Word. 1 Corinthians, by the way. Number two, it puts the congregation on a Bible track so everyone can follow. So you can know where we're going. So if we finish up in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you know that the next week we're going to be in chapter 3, and you can kind of read ahead. Or, God forbid, you miss a Sunday here or there, by the way, you're, you're allowed like one miss a week, or one miss a year, right? That, that's it, right? But if you missed, you could catch right back up. You could be reading right along or jump online, listen to the message, and you're right there with us. But it puts the congregation on a track all together. The third thing, it puts value on God's Word because that's what we're preaching from and directly from God's Word. Specifically, it really heightens God's Word. Number four, it proclaims, it explains, and then brings application for what the Bible teaches. And that's what preaching is, but it really does a nice job in that. And then number five, it trains others how to study the Bible. And this is really important. And I want to encourage you to not only come with your Bible um, on these days. Uh for the next several months as we get through 1 Corinthians. But we want to do that. But we also, on the back of your bulletin, there's a place for notes. And you grab a pen or grab a journal uh, and a pen. And I want you to be taking notes so you can be learning maybe how to study the Bible in a different way. Or maybe you see something and uh, we can do that together. And so this is our new journey together. And my goal is to study which uh, there's been quite a bit of study to come in to do some expository preaching. In fact, on Monday alone, I read over 300 pages of commentary, and my mind was spinning by the end of that. But then to bring that study, to divide God's Word, and then to bring a relevant and application for you guys, for us, each and every week. And that's what our goal is. And that's what we're going to do. And we're starting uh, right now. And so I'm excited about it. And it's interesting to say, well, why 1 Corinthians? Well, it's arguably the best book in the New Testament and maybe even in the whole, uh, all of Scripture that confronts the challenge of being a Christ follower, being a believer while living in the world. They kind of put the two together, and we're going to see, you'll see really quickly why, we, why it's, it's um, such an important book for us to get our minds around. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2 says this, to the God, or to, to the church of God, this is who he's, uh, Paul is saying, who he's writing to, uh, to the church of God in West Michigan, or not in West Michigan, in, good grief, in Corinth. But we could put West Michigan there or we could put your name there or we could put the Gateway Church there to the Church of God, the Gateway Church. And uh, because this work here is exactly... Uh, for us and it's for us to not only get our mind around but then to apply it in our lives and so what we're going to do is each week we're going to take a section of scripture line by line kind of get through it and we're going to do that this morning so I'm going to ask that you would stand and you can grab a copy of God's word on the back table if you want uh, we are going to be preaching primarily from the NIV um, just so you know that's what I typically do anyway uh, there will be words on the screen today but bring uh, a way that you can kind of follow along And uh, let's read 1 Corinthians and ask God to reveal some things today from his word. All right, it says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and our brother, Sassonis, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in your speaking and in your knowledge because your our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God, who has called you into fellowship and His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, God, that You speak loud and clear through Your Word if we listen and we discern and we dig in. God, I pray that Starting today, at this moment, Lord, that you would be speaking loud and clear through First Corinthians. God, I pray that we would be open to what your spirit is saying and that we would, for your glory and honor, grow and that we would grow deep. And Lord, that we would understand and divide your word properly. We thank you and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. 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 You can be seated. So expository preaching is, uh, is a challenge. It's a lot of work to understand what God is saying in a particular passage. And one of the things that is really critical is to look at the context or to look at the history um, behind what is being said or what's being presented. And we want to do that. And each week we will take some time to give some history. But there's some important things right off the get-go that we need to make sure that you guys understand. And I know you already picked it up just by the reading. But who was the author, or who is the author of 1 Corinthians? Paul, the Apostle Paul. What about this Sosthenes guy? Anybody ever heard of him? Anybody heard a message about him? Well, he's really kind of a minor player, in fact, pretty insignificant. He's certainly a friend of the Apostle Paul. But it's also very possible, as you kind of dig into it and look, that he was a secretary for Paul, that Paul would have spoke, and that he would have been writing uh, on behalf of Paul, and so that's certainly possible. The Corinth church obviously knew who, they, who he was. Paul obviously knew who he was. And then, of course, we've already mentioned this, but who was 1 Corinthians written to? The church in Corinth. Right, you guys are getting an A+. Plus. Way to go. But I was curious this week, uh, and really as I've kind of opened up this, uh, this book to preach, what's the connection between Paul and Corinth? Well, it really started in 51 AD. So after Jesus was... Crucified, uh, dead, then uh, buried, rose again in about 33 A.D. So years after that, 20 years or so after that, Paul is going on his second missionary journey. He's out telling people about Jesus, and we can you can kind of see his journey in uh, chronicled in uh, the book of Acts. But it, by Acts 18, he joins Aquila and Priscilla in tent making. To support himself in Corinth. He stops in Corinth. He's going to do some work there. He needed to eat and needed to support himself. So he gets in the tent making business until, which is a little later, Silas and Timothy were sent from Philippi, where Paul had been previous, with some money for Paul. And there was this offering given to Paul so Paul could focus directly on preaching and teaching and didn't have to do so much tent making and so he could still live. I was thinking about that. How cool. We support missionaries that go and we support them so they don't have to work in China as or at a real job. They can just preach and teach. And I say a real job tongue-in-cheek. I hope you understand that. But how awesome. This was, the, this was the first time that we see something like that in Scripture. Totally unrelated to what we're talking about. All right, so Paul was in Corinth for 18 months. We, we know that through history. And he was there. He was investing in the, the Corinthian church. It was establishing that work. He was pouring out his, his guts, and uh, he, was, he just loved those people. And then he felt God was calling him to go to Jerusalem. And so he left Corinth, and on his way, he stopped in Ephesus and ended up staying in Ephesus for much longer than he thought. And uh, it was interesting that from Ephesus... Back to Corinth, there was actually several letters back and forth between Paul and the Corinthian church. You say several letters. I'm talking three or four or maybe even more than that. You say, wait, isn't there only a first and second Corinthians? Well, those were the only two that had been preserved, that were part of God's word, the canon kind of put together. But there were other letters. And we'll see that in 1 Corinthians that Paul is saying in our, in our you know, previous letter. And you're like, what? And uh, so we'll, we'll get there. But it's interesting that these letters went back and forth. In 1 Corinthians, it was written from Ephesus, we understand that, during Paul's third missionary journey. And it was around 54 to 55 AD. And so you put those time frames together. It was about three years after Paul had left Corinth the first time. Now, this is really important because Paul's getting word back from the Corinthian church. He's receiving notice that the church that he loved, that he gave so much for, was in serious trouble. They were hurting. In fact, to say that the church was in crisis would not be an understatement at all. Warren Wearsby, in his commentary on 1 Corinthians, described the church in Corinth at that time as defiled, divided, and disgraced. I'm saying, whoa, that, I mean, can you imagine someone describing our church like that? But that's really the picture, and it was an accurate picture. You're saying, what in the world was going on? Well, some of its members were participating in sexually immoral relationships. Others with, within the church were addicted to substances, and there are some substance abuse issues that we'll be dealing with. Others were using the grace of God, which is so amazing, so complete, as an excuse for all kinds of immoral behavior and living. You say, what in the world happened? For within three years, Paul leaves this church well, what happened is the culture overwhelmed them and the culture got the best of them. And so I want to talk about the city and the culture just for a moment. The city of Corinth was a church or it was a city of about 700,000 people. We're talking a lot of people in a small little area. The city uh, became extremely important, Was uh, had, had a lot of notoriety in Paul's day. In fact, another commentary, commentator described the city as a bustling hub of worldwide commerce, degraded culture, and idolatrous religion. Now that's talking about the, the city as a whole. On a map, which you can see, that uh, Corinth sat uh, due west of Athens, And it stood guard over this isthmus, which was about four miles wide, joining central and southern Greece. And so what's important, and you'll see it on the map there, is there were two harbors that kind of were a part of the Corinthian uh, the Corinthian landscape there. And uh, ships would come. They would travel from east to west. And um, those, those ports were protected by Roman military, and, uh, which was very important. So it was a very safe place to go uh, in many ways. But it was a place where there was a lot of money. A lot of money was channeled through there. And even the Ismithian Games, which is very much like the Olympics, were held there. The bottom line, it was a prosperous city, to say the least. It was the New York, the L.A., the Vegas of the ancient world. And where money flows often, and especially in a seaport town, we, we know that sin was abundant there as well. Huge volumes of business. There would have been uh, rooms to rent. Taverns would have been frequented and filled. Shopping and entertainers, lawyers and laborers, doctors were all in high demand in that city. Warehouse men, by the, by the way, um, uh, leather, leather workers, tent makers, wagon repairers, uh, bankers, and even uh, prostitution were all in high demand and what's interesting is you kind of boil down and kind of take a snapshot of what the, the city of Corinth would have been like. There are many relatable things to our culture that we have in West Michigan here. And yeah, we may not be the Grand Rapids, Detroit, or LA, or New York with hundreds of thousands, but we've got tens of thousands of people here on the lakeshore, and we have a lot of culture, a lot of worldliness that is within us. And and so it's interesting how relatable um, 1 Corinthians is to our culture. Now, the church became the largest and most important over any of the other churches that Paul had established. And uh, it's interesting that um, as I was reading this last week, I hadn't done this, uh, but I wanted to read all of 1 Corinthians in the message Bible. Um, At the beginning, there was a little introduction, and it really caught my attention. I want to pause and kind of read just a little bit of this. Listen to what it says. It says, when people become Christians, this is the introduction in the message Bible. It says they don't at the same moment become nice. How about that? (laughs) (laughs) This always comes as something of a surprise. Conversion to Christ and his ways don't automatically furnish a person with impeccable manners and suitable morals. And uh, I mean, how many of you have seen that in somebody else, or maybe experienced that even in your own life, right? When you accept Christ, it doesn't clean everything up automatically. It says the people of Corinth had a reputation in the ancient world as an unruly, hard drinking, sexually promiscuous bunch of people. And when Paul arrived with the message and many of them became believers in Jesus, they brought their reputations with them right into the church. So they brought some of that worldliness right in to the church. At the end, it says Paul in his first letter, it really becomes a classical pastoral response, very affectionate, which we'll see today uh, as we, as we kind of unfold those first nine verses. But it was firm firm. Clear unswerving in the conviction that God among God was among them revealed in Jesus in the presence of the Holy Spirit, continued to be the central issue of their lives, regardless of how much of a mess they had made of things. Now listen to this. Paul doesn't disown them as brother or sister Christians, doesn't throw them out because of their bad behavior, and doesn't fly into a tirade over their irresponsible ways. He takes it all more or less in stride, but also takes them by the hand and goes over old ground again, directing them in how to work all the glorious details of God's saving love into their love for one another. And so it was a refresher for the Corinthian church. It was things that he had talked about when he was with them. And what I want you to see is that we as the church today, 2014, we need a refreshing. We need to be updated. We need to be mindful of some of the things that are captured here in Scripture. And uh, it's really important for us To do that, the first six chapters of of, um, just a couple other notes. First six chapters really address some division and disorder happening in the church, and then those letters that had come back and forth. The chapter seven through sixteen really is a reply to a series of questions that Paul had received, and then he's sending those back. And so, and we'll get to all of that. But what I want to do is, I was really surprised that one, when you get a picture of the context and what is happening in the, uh, in the landscape there, in the city, and even in the church, um, how much more um, this, the reading or the, the words on a page can pop off and really make some, uh, make some more sense. And so what I'd like to do, and I don't think we'll do this every week, but I want to read from the Message Bible the same nine verses that we read before. But now we all have a little better context, a little more history. And I wanted to I mean, just listen. You can kind of follow along on the screen uh, with me. Uh, and and uh, I, I want these words to sink in, and then we'll take some, some time to uh, analyze it uh, as we go. This is what it says, all right? This is the message, Bible. It says, I, Paul, have been called and sent by Jesus, the Messiah, according to God's plan, along with my friend, Sosthenes, I send this letter to you in God's church at Corinth, or the Gateway Church, or put your name there, right? Christians cleaned up by Jesus and set apart for a God-filled life. I include in my greeting to all who call out to Jesus wherever they live. He, he's their master as well as ours. May all the gifts and benefits that come From God our Father and Master Jesus Christ be yours. Then he goes on. He says Every time I think of you, and I think of you often, I thank God for your lives of free and open access to God given by Jesus. There's no end to what has happened in you, it's beyond speech, beyond knowledge. The evidence of Christ has been clearly verified in your lives. Just think, you don't need a thing. You've got it all. All God's gifts are right in front of you, and you wait expectantly for our master, Jesus, to arrive on the scene for the finale. And not only that, but God himself is right alongside to keep you steady and on track until things are wrapped, uh, wrapped up by Jesus. God, who got you started in the spiritual adventure, shares with us the life of his son and our master Jesus. He will never give up on you. Never forget that. Now, when I read this, and I've reread this, and I've read 1 Corinthians last year, um, probably five or six times minimal, maybe more, I'm seeing he ends that first, he's saying, God will never give up on you. God is faithful. And with all sorts of issues in the balance, which we will address and we will take a look at, he starts the letter off with an encouragement, not a rebuke. This is incredible. He talks about God's grace. He talks about spiritual gifts. He says they're not lacking in any area and that God will keep them strong. And I'm saying, wow. And what he's doing here is he is declaring who they are in Christ. How Christ has changed their lives. How Christ has made the difference. And even though Paul is expressing his confidence the Corinthian church is really struggling. Paul expresses confidence about this community of believers that are currently behaving anything but blameless. And he's giving thanks for the readers and their gifts, which, by the way, he they are abusing. We'll see that in spite of their spiritual shortcomings. And he gives thanks for the very things that the church is abusing. And, I, and I'm saying, wow, how and I'm trying to get my mind around this, trying to put myself in their shoes. And I think about it. And let's try to do that for a moment. How many of us can relate to the church in Corinth at some level? Once we were strong in the Lord, once we were focused and learning and, and uh, really being discipled, now we're maybe disconnected. Maybe there's division or disorder in our life or in our family. Maybe we're spiritually dry or maybe we're struggling in one area or another. Or maybe there are some abuses um, of uh, you know, sexual immorality or, or uh, substance abuse. Or maybe we've taken God's grace and, and ran with it and, and uh, said, hey, it's okay, God will forgive me. You say, yeah, I've accepted Christ, but how many of us really at times struggle with the fruit of our salvation. That if we were really honest, our lives really reflect more of the world than it does of Christ. For the Corinthian church, it took three years, or at least this is when that letter was sent. For you, it may be three years or maybe three decades ago that you were focused and on fire for God. Or maybe it was three months or three weeks ago. My guess is that many would think if God were to write him a letter, like Paul is writing to Corinthians, that it would be bad news. But that's not what it was. He wasn't a letter where God is sending the, and saying, hey, I'm bringing the hammer down. Uh, you guys are all in trouble. I am convinced of just the opposite. I believe the start of 1 Corinthians would be exactly how Jesus would start a letter to me, or to you, or to us as a church. Jesus would remind us of who we are, that we're sanctified, look at it, that we're called out, that we are the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, that there are spiritual gifts at our disposal, that there's grace and peace, that we are enriched, that we are strong to the end. Why or how is that possible? Because God is faithful. I thought about this last Monday as I was putting some of these details together. And I'm saying, what a way to start 2014. To say, God, we want to be reminded of who we are in you. And I want to pause for a second. I was on Monday and Tuesday studying, and then I had a couple days away. Um, After New Year's, we went, uh, my family went to Detroit and we had a great time with my grandparents and uh, celebrated um, New Year's there in Detroit area. And as we were just kind of sitting around, the kids were watching a movie or, or playing a game, something, my grandma and I were talking and my grandma is a spiritual giant in my life and she was just talking and through, and, and I uh, had all this kind of preparation kind of ready for this Sunday and, and uh, had, had done quite a bit of work. And, and she starts talking about some things that she's been listening to. Uh, there's a guy she mentioned uh, by the name of Graham Cook that she'd been listening to. And, um, and she said, and by the way, I just heard a message that was talking about how Christians focus too much on their sin and the trouble that they're in and not enough on who they are in Christ. I'm like, what? <laughs> and, and it didn't really even click right away. And she's talking about it. I'm like, yeah, Grandma, that's so true. And, and uh, boy, we need to be reminded of who we are in Christ. And boy, when you're sin conscious, it, 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 you actually are more pro, you have more of a propensity to sin. And we're talking about this. She says, wait a minute. And she runs to her little library. She comes back with this. She says, oh, I, got, I meant to give this to you. I wanted to give this to you. And what it is, it's a list of all of the things in Scripture. It may not be complete, but it's our standing in front of Christ, who we are in Christ. And she hands this to me, and I start looking at it. I'm the beloved. I can do all things. I am chosen. I'm declared holy. And I'm like, and it clicked. I'm like, That's exactly what i had been studying on Monday and Tuesday. What the Corinthian, what Paul was doing to the Corinthian church. He's affirming who they are in Christ. And I'm like, this is amazing. My grandma's like, Ben, you could take each of these, preach on one a week, 52 weeks. There's your whole sermon calendar. She's trying to, you know, figure out my job. but, um, But I'm like, holy smokes. And so as I looked at it, I said, you know what, this fits in. And so what I did, I got a copy, uh, not just all scribbled all around, but I got a copy. And what I want to do is I want to read these for us. And I want you to bear with me and I want you to listen. And by the way, um, each one of you are going to get a copy of this here in just a second. But um, but listen, this is your standing. Your standing in who you are in Jesus. Your confession of all that God wants to be for you and all that God wants to do for you. For you. Now this is a sizable list here, so just hunker down with me. Your standing is that you are a new creation. You're a people for his possession. You're a royal priesthood. You're alive to God. All grace abounds toward you. All sufficiency is in you through him. You're anointed. You're the apple of God's eye. As he is, so are we in this earth. You're baptized in one spirit. You're baptized into Christ, into his death. You're being perfected. You are beloved. You are blameless. You are blessed. You're blessed with all spiritual blessings. You've got bold access to the throne of God. Amen. You're as bold as a lion because you're born again. You're part of the bride. You're buried with Christ in his death. You can do all things in Christ. You're chosen. You're a chosen generation. Christ indwells you in you. Christ indwells you with all of his fullness. You're the co heir with Christ. You're created for good works. You're curse free. You're dead to sin. You're dead with Christ. You're declared holy. You're a disciple. You're elect. You're enriched. Everything works in your favor. You're enriched in all knowledge. You're faithful. You're a fellow citizen. You're free. You're free from sin. You're freely, He's freely given you all things. You're a friend of Christ. You're fruitful. You're gifted. You're given all things. You're the habitation of God. You have the mind of Christ. He's at work in you. He is for you, not against you. You are healed. You're hidden in Christ. You're highly favored. You are his body. You're his fullness. You are his possession. You are his workmanship. You are a holy nation. You're a priest, holy priesthood. You're increasing the knowledge of God. You're inseparable from the love of God. You're the jewel of his eye. You're justified. You are a king. You are a priest. You are a ruler. You're known by Him. You're lacking in nothing. You're the light of the world. You're living by faith. You live by God's word. You're a living stone. You've made Him. You're made in His image. You, you're made rich in everything. You're a new creation. You are ordained. You are a different people. You're the people of God. You are the pillars of God. You are prepared for good works. You are redeemed. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. You are a saint. You're the salt of the earth. You're sanctified. Just a few more. You are saved. You are sealed. You're seated with him in the heavenly places. You're a servant of God. You share in his authority. You're the sheep of his pasture. You're a shining star. You're the son of God. You are a son of light. You're a steward of all of the mysteries. You are strengthened by him. You are the elect of God. You are the righteousness of God. You are the temple of God. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are transformed. You're a vessel of glory. You're a vessel of honor. You walk by faith. You walk in renewed, in the newness of life. You're a warrior. You're wise. You are a witness. And you are absolutely worthy of the Lord. And I'm looking at this, and I'm sitting there and putting these things together, and I'm saying, God, isn't he amazing that my grandma would be kind of curious about this? She gives me this, and I'd been working on that earlier in the week. And I'm saying, there is no question that this is what God wanted for us to start 2014, to affirm who you are in Christ if you've given your heart to the Lord. And I want you to know there are some incredible benefits personally if you embrace who you are in Jesus. You will be less sin conscious. You will sin less. Your perspective of life will be positive and properly focused. It will change everything. Think about it. How this list, if you embraced this, if you meditated on it and you, you, uh, you took maybe one a day or, or one, one a week for the year and you applied that, how that would affect your work and your coworkers? Would it affect your sales or your communications at work or your customer relations? What about at school? Some of these students are going back to school tomorrow. How would that affect you when, you when you're talking about peer pressure or all the drama that goes on in high school or junior high or at home? <laughs> How would it affect you? Would it make you? I believe it would change things. What about at home? Maybe with your siblings or if you're a parent with your kids or dealing with your spouse it would be life-changing. It would be incredible if we can embrace our identity in Christ. And that's what Paul was doing with the Corinthian church. And I was sharing this with a friend of mine that uh, is a doctor in New Testament theology, and I talk with him almost every week about my messages. And I was all excited about this on Friday, and I'd come back and I was putting on some final details. And he, and I was and I was talking about that personal piece. That man, if people could get a, a picture of that, it wouldn't it be incredible? What would it change their life, their home, their work, all this? And he says, Ben, don't forget what that would do for you corporately. A unified, proper thinking of who we are in Christ. What would that do if we were holy and free and pure? He's saying, man, the potential to influence the lakeshore would be unlimited. You couldn't have a building big enough to hold it all. The potential to influence the world, worldwide, across the globe, would be unlimited if there was a group of believers that could embrace who they were in Christ. It would be that contagious. It would be that powerful that God would be at work. And I was thinking, holy smokes, and I knew. I'm saying it all stems back to who we are in Christ. So I was thinking, man, what could we do? I just want to encourage us, first of all, if you are away from God and you don't have a relationship with God or maybe you never have, that this is the time for something new. Come to the Lord. He's offering salvation at every turn. If you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And that's where it starts. That's where this whole relationship starts. You say, boy, we're talking about who we are in Christ. Maybe I'm not in Christ. And if that's you and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, this morning, there's an opportunity right now, right here. In fact, I'd like that you to bow your head and close your eyes just so no one's looking around. And this is a personal moment between you and God. And could I be as bold to ask a question, boy, if you were not to make it beyond today, If you didn't make it uh, today uh, and you ended up in in eternity for some reason and you stood before the Heavenly Father and He's looking at you and saying, boy, why would I let you into heaven? Well, the Bible says the only way into heaven is through Jesus Christ, His Son. If you don't know Jesus, if you haven't accepted Jesus, as your Savior, the reality is you'd spend an eternity away from Him. And if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus as your Savior and would like to know Jesus as your Savior, would you just lift your hand right where you are and just say, "Yep, that's me. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. But who this morning? Say, "Yep, that's me. to say yes. Yeah, sure. Awesome. Anybody else? Awesome. If the Lord's stern in your heart, you're saying, boy, I, I know my heart is not right with the Lord. You want to take this opportunity? Anyone else? There was one individual that raised their hand. Again, I'm not going to embarrass them, but could we encourage this person, by praying with them, what I call a magical prayer. It's a miracle prayer. It's not the words of the prayer that are magical, but what it is, it's if you believe what you're saying, you will be saved. Would you repeat this after me, church? Dear Heavenly Father, please forgive me for all my sins. I'm sorry for all the wrong, And I give it to you. I believe you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. You made a way so we could be together forever. I look forward to that. Lord, save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Awesome that's the first piece to have a right relationship with Jesus and we'll just take another second here please hang with me Paul is writing this to a church that they had made a commitment to Christ they were Christ followers but were struggling with the world and we're going to talk about that for several weeks but There was this idea that Christ was confident in them even though they were anything but blameless. He was even confident in their giftings and he was thankful for them and it just is really, really powerful. But what I'd like to do is I'd like to go ahead and pass out uh, one of these to each and every one of you. Bonnie and uh, Samantha, if you could help me. I want to make sure one's in each of your hands. And as you get this, I want you to start to look at these, and maybe some will kind of jump out at you, and uh, you know just kind of look at them here for a moment. And my challenge is, is that over the next season. Maybe even just over this next 40 days, maybe you take eat one a day and you meditate on it. You, you, um, you pray over it or you look for, for it in Scripture, saying, okay, I am the beloved. Where is that found in Scripture? Or I am a new creation. Where, where can I find that in Scripture? I'm alive in God. And, and to do some interaction with this list. Or put it in your car or on your refrigerator Or tuck it in your Bible, and over the next year, when you read God's Word, maybe highlight one at a time and get through those. Because what it does, it reinforces your identity in Christ. And I believe that when we do that individually and corporately, our potential is unlimited. I'm going to ask that you stand for a moment we're gonna do something together just for a second. We're going to, I'm gonna ask that you begin to say out loud, just quietly, not loud, loud, some of the things that are popping out at you. And so you just kind of look at it over the list. All grace abounds towards me. And just begin to, to read. Maybe two or three or four will kind of um, uh, rise up to the top. I am declared Holy. Everything works in my favor. I am healed. Just do that with me, okay? Grab your copy and just kind of look. Just all together, front to the back, just for a moment. I am highly favored. I am living by faith. I am protected, purified, raised with Christ, resurrection. I can do all things through Christ. I am buried with Christ in his death. And what I want you to do is to take these, and as you do this, as you start to meditate, as you begin to declare these things over your life, I want them to become more than just words on a paper, but that you would believe them, and that there would be passion and power that kind of comes up from these. And no matter what you've thought about yourself, no matter what others have thought about you or said about you, This is the truth of who you are in Christ. And we don't have to focus on the other. If we focus on this, our days are going to be bright, and God is going to help us. And this is what I like to do. I'm going to pray a prayer of benediction over us and uh, pray, God, uh, to, to use this in our lives. And after I pray, you can be dismissed. The altars will be open. If there's anything you want to pray about or just linger and uh, to spend some time with the Lord, please do so. Um, but otherwise, you can go on the grace of God and we'll see some of you guys tonight at Connect uh, 301 and for youth group and stuff like that. But let me pray over you. Lord, I pray a blessing over this congregation, over these individuals this year, 2014, that it would be a year of favor that it would be a year like no other. That they would get that we would get traction, Lord, in our own lives, but even as a church, God, that momentum would continue to flow our way. God, I pray and believe and stand with, with as we pray and fast over these 40 days. We are praying for a building solution for something beyond 1641 Pontaluna here. And God, that you would have your hand on us for your glory, for your honor. But God, as we leave today, I pray that we would affirm who we are in you. That you would make it crystal clear. And God, that it would sink in and that it would affect us each and every day of our lives. And God, as you were encouraging the Corinthian church with some affirmation that they were sanctified and holy and blameless and had spiritual gifts and all those things, God, I pray that you would speak that same word into our spirits. And I pray that you'd go before us, behind us, and all around us. We pray it all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said.